Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with the newest super villainess in the DC television universe and one of the voice actors on the show, Duncanville, Joy Osmansky. How are you today? Hi, RC. I'm so great. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we got to reschedule this because I know you got caught in the mountains last week in a brownout, so things got a little haywire for you. Yeah, I, I can't complain. It's it's not the worst reason <laughs> to have to reschedule. So, yeah, we were in the mountains and there was zero power. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, no problem. You know, when I think of people being uh, originally from South Korea, Osmansky is the first name that pops up. So, you know, congratulations <laughs> on that. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because, of course, as a kid, you just want to blend in and be normal. And having a weird last name is is can be a struggle, but I have come to embrace it. And of course, to me, it's like the perfect depiction of what it means to be American. And there's tons of us Korean adoptees with Polish, with, you know, British, with German, with weird last names that don't necessarily, you wouldn't necessarily think would match what they look like. Right. But um, it has led me to not make any assumptions about anyone based on their name. Hey. I am a six foot three Middle Eastern man with strawberry blonde <laughs> hair and blue eyes. Believe me, I know what oh assumptions God. are like. Love well, it. now I'm bald, but at the time I had I had strawberry blonde <laughs> hair. So yeah. fabulous. that's fabulous. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you've mentioned that you're adopted. It's not something people often talk about these days. Uh, I'm glad that uh, you had a relationship with your adoptive parents, and we're willing to keep their last name. As you grew up and went into this world of uh, acting and lunacy and talking to yourself in a closet, which uh, is what I refer to voice acting. Yeah, pretty much. That, you <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was I was lucky. I think I had adoptive parents who were relatively uh, aware of the issues surrounding international adoption, and um, there's a common, I think, misnomer about adoption and that is that all you need is love and that is not true you need a ton of awareness and cultural education and um that's something that i've learning i'm learning too also as an adoptive parent so um yeah i i count myself very fortunate in my in my adoption story like was there a part of you that like 14 15 years old super angsty and going that's it i'm going to korean school and learning how to speak korean or did that no, just come later? I wish, I wish my teenage angst had manifested in something productive like that. That would have been freaking amazing. Instead, I just moped around and, and looked at pictures of boys I liked and listened to the radio. No, if I had had the balls to like go learn Korean, that would have served me so much better. I, I wish I spoke uh, Korean. I wish I spoke any other language, but Korean would be, would be excellent. Right. Um, well, you get to play Tigress. A super villain in the in uh, yes. Star Girl, which premieres on the DCU app May 18th, and then on the CW the next night, May 19th. Congratulations on that! Thanks. It's been totally surreal, and I I think it will continue to be. But I can't wait for people to see it. I'm excited. I already reviewed the first episode. It was so much fun. Right? Yeah. Yes. Like this yes. is what this is what I wanted when they introduced the JSA in this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, mm -hmm. this is what I wanted Justice League to be. And we're oh. getting a glimpse of that with JSA and especially with Stargirl. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear you say yeah. that. Yeah, it really it really pushes all the right buttons. It's very satisfying. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not just a girly show, which people would, would re you know, reference to. It's like, oh, CW, another CW teen 
drama series. No, this is just like a fun family show, and you get to work mm-hmm. with Luke Owen in the series, uh, you know, which uh, I can only assume that it wasn't that lighthearted, you know, because he, <laughs> he seems like a really depressing guy, him and Joel McHale. They're both lovely human beings. Yeah, it was definitely a super fun set, and that's not something that I that I take for granted. Um, They can be not fun, but uh, this one was fantastic, and that really starts with that number one on the call sheet. And um, Breck is amazing and a wonderful leader. And if everyone took their cue from her with how hard she works, then we'd all be fantastic because she kicks ass and she just she works so hard excruciatingly long hours, very physical role, and she's amazing. I don't know. You got those Taekwondo skills uh, up to par for for your scenes. Uh, do I? <laughs> <laughs> At least the editor made sure. Listen, I'd like to say that that was my <laughs> Korean heritage kicking in on some DNA level, um, but I really have my dance background to thank for that, as well as the stunning and wonderful help of the stunt team, without whom I would have just been flailing around. They really um, made all the action sequences amazing, as as did my stunt double, Lauren Mary Kim. She's phenomenal. Well, I'm glad you gave Lauren a shout-out, because not not everybody mentions their stunt, uh, stunt double, and I think they deserve uh, quite a bit of recognition. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I think we all get that they they exist and they're an integral part of the process. I don't think there's anything to hide, and she absolutely deserves to be celebrated. They work so so hard and take care of us, the actors, and teach us the the sequences, the choreography, sometimes right on the spot. So they're incredible people. Well, that goes, well, I was going to say it goes without saying, but no, it needs to be said because they don't get enough credit. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to bring up real quick, last night's episode of Duncanville was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and now I want to buy Jing a dog. Thank you. Yeah, that poor kid. That poor kid got neglected the whole episode, and just as about there, everyone agrees to get her the dog. There's some sort of big distraction. I know they're so close multiple times. It just is like denied. Yeah, yeah, no. And the last that last sequence is so funny, even though it's like a dream. I just I love that episode so much. Yeah, I mean, you have a phenomenal cast. Amy Poehler's on there. Uh, Ty Burrell's with you. And, you know, Ty can, Ty can play something so straight and just oh. make you pause and chuckle and, yeah, yeah. Then, and then lose your mind. When you get presented with something like, hey, you know, we want you to play the little adopted Asian kid on the show, you know, uh, are imitating life in this instant. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> what's it like to sit there and go, not only am I – on an animated series, so I don't have to, you know, be in a in a leather jumpsuit. But mm-hmm. now, you know, I get to kind of relive my own experience in a comedic cartoon way and part of the Fox animated Sunday lineup. It's a lot. <laughs> it's all, it's so much good that you find yourself just struggling to hold on. You know, I mean, there's just, it just overflows. And what's really neat is that they had no idea I was adopted as a baby. And um, it was just pure coincidence that I ended up playing this character. And I spoke to Mike recently about it, Mike Scully. And I was like, do you know? And he was like, what? No. So they had no idea. (laughs) And um, it's fantastic. I love representing not only another Asian American on screen, but one that's animated and also has a similar backstory to me. It's it's. Fantastic. It's so unique. You know, that almost never happens. 
And then to get paired in the room with these incredible comedic legends, oh, it's just a constant pinching yourself. You're just in disbelief the whole time and, and laughing so hard your cheeks hurt and and watching the masters at work. Yeah, but you're a part of the circle, so now you're in the master class. <laughs> I would, I would, that's really generous of you to say. <laughs> I, I, uh, can't quite believe that, yeah, I literally get to sit, well, not anymore, but I, I used to sit at the same table <laughs> with these people uh, who were right next to me. Like I would just sit with Amy Poehler sitting next to me and be like, oh my God, I'm sitting next to Amy Poehler as she plays my mother and my brother. <laughs> you know, surreal, un- unbelievable. Way to spoil episode nine in letting us know that Amy Poehler is also the voice of Duncan. <laughs> Sorry, I let the cat out of the bag. Sorry about you know, that. IMDb didn't even list her as Duncan, but you had to go tell the world. <laughs> I just feel like she hasn't gotten enough recognition. <laughs> I want her name to get out there, you know? Yeah, she's been hiding in the in the shadows for far too long. Oh, yeah, I know. She's so humble, but sing it, Amy. Get out there. Well, I mean, you have every right to brag as well. You have a Master's of Fine Arts, which is not easy to get. Nope, nope, it's true. Um, That was (laughs) at a point in my life where I had nothing to lose, and I thought, well, it was when I realized I wanted to be an actor, which is why I pursued that MFA. I like being a student, and I realized I knew nothing, so that's why I went and got that degree, and it was incredible three years of um, very focused training with a very small group of people. And I feel so fortunate to have completed that. It's one of the things I'm most proud of. It really was a very intense time, but it is, it has helped me in so many ways and continues to help me throughout my life. Well, now you can also point to the wall when your kids act up and go, Hey, you might make fun of me for being an actress, but I went and got an education. What are you doing with yourself? (laughs) <laughs> to which they would respond with a series of mouth noises and possibly farts. And, yeah, it doesn't impress them at all. They could care less. Right. So they're emulating your career at this point. I mean, I yeah. guess you're right. I have only myself to blame. Yeah. You know, they're just following mom's example of doing cartoon voices. I know it's true. If I model the, the behavior of a five-year-old, then what else are my children supposed to do? You're right. Yikes. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm glad that you could laugh at yourself because a lot of people take themselves way too seriously, especially comedic actors, which which boggles the mind sometimes. But it's good to take the work seriously. Oh yeah, oh that's interesting. I I know what you mean in general. That's that's a fun observation. Interesting. Um, no, I the minute you take yourself too seriously is when they fall into a hole of some kind. I I um I've never been able to do that. I've often wished I could take myself maybe a little more seriously. Um, but there's plenty of people who I don't know who will do that. So right. I'll, I'll leave it to them <laughs> and uh, not worry about what they're thinking. And, um, yeah, just continue to be a goofball in my life. Well, it's also a good time for you as a voice actress because with everything else shut down, you can still stand behind the mic. Oh, man, I'm so grateful. It does seem to be one of the few facets of our business that I think may be able to persist um, in this uncertain time. And I, yeah, I'm, I feel really lucky. Do you think animation will finally get the recognition it deserves? Because it's kind of been treated as a byproduct of entertainment. 
Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's like a side dish. It's like this should be a main course. I don't know what why why it hasn't been. In my mind, it has been. Um, I've considered animation to be a tremendous art form uh, for years and years. So, yeah, maybe so. I mean, <laughs> it's because there's a dearth of everything else. The animation gets a spotlight. Fine. That's fine. You know what? It's it's one of the hardest, uh, I think, industries to be a part of. I mean, you have X amount of animators, colorists, specialists, and then the voice talent on top of it. And then the animators have to animate your voice in Western-style animation. So, yeah. you know, this isn't an easy gig. No. In fact, I just learned of a fascinating job. Um, I met a woman at a recent Duncanville party whose job it is to form the shape of the mouth of our words so the animators in, off, in Korea can can understand the physicality of what they're doing. I was like, of course, that's fascinating. Why would they necessarily know what the mouth looks like when it shapes certain words? Mm-hmm. I was like, that is a job. That is an, a vital part of what we do. It's so interesting. That See, that sounds amazing in itself. I was talking to a comic book creator that wanted to be an animator last week. And he said, you know, I wanted to go into animation, but my biggest fear was I was going to get stuck on a show just animating the doors opening and closing. Ah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. it's... Which it's is still an important job. <laughs> it is, it is. And, you know, you see these amazing films where there's whole huge departments devoted to, like, water. Right. And, I mean, it's because it takes that many people to do it. But <laughs> I get I get the fear, but I guess everyone's got to start somewhere. And, hey, he could still point to the screen and say, I made that door open. <laughs> That's more than a lot of people get to do, so, you know. Well, like you, last night you made a baby talk. That's right. You know. Oh, my God. It's so so bizarre to see it even now. I'll forget. I'm not kidding. I will forget sometimes that I did it. (laughs) (laughs) What's your your parents' reaction like? You know, they hear about Dunkleville, and now, you know, you're a supervillain, which is – I keep bringing that up because it's a big deal. I mean, superheroes have taken over the world. I've grown up on them myself. I mean, Christ, we call the site Fanboy Nation. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's got to play a factor in there. But, yeah. you know, when you put your stamp on, boom, I am Tigress. No one can ever take this away from me. I'll be honest with you. It's at times, it's not until I hear someone say something like that that I suddenly get, like, real fluttery and jittery and, and a little freaked out. Because, you know, as actors, um, if we focus on the the big picture sometimes like the legacy of the role that'll overwhelm the work. Right. Mm -hmm. Because then I'll be like, the mantle will feel so heavy that I won't be able to do what I need to do in the job. (laughs) So it's like, you want to honor. My goal is to honor the role by bringing my unique uh, aspects of what I can do to it. Because beyond that, I I can do nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. So it is definitely a huge responsibility and I take it very seriously, but I have to just, I have to just honor the story, the words that I'm given, the incredible costume design that I'm handed, and then hopefully let that sing. And um, luckily, the words were so good and the costumes were so good that I really just had to say them and put them on. And then I'm fine. (laughs) And that's what the pilot episode looked like. I can't wait to see what the rest of the season looks like. Oh, man, it is so incredible. I mean... A lot of us as actors, for me, this is by far and away the biggest thing I've ever worked on and in terms of just scope and budget and manpower. And there were times when on set I would just look at everyone 
furiously doing their jobs and be like, I'm part of this. I can't believe I'm part of this because it just takes so much work and the effects alone. I mean, it's just, I think it's going to be really unique. I, I can't wait for people to, to see it. Well, I'm excited for you when the, when the full reaction comes from the Tuesday and Wednesday Ooh. audience. Yes. Thank you. Me too. My God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> It's going to well, be crazy. You mentioned that you have small children, and I know right now um, schools are closed, daycares are closed. Uh, you know, how have the challenges of getting in the booth along with being basically a stay-at-home mom right now uh, mm -hmm. played into work and fun for them and educating them? Well, luckily, so I actually have a three-year-old, a four-year-old, and a 19-year-old stepdaughter. Okay. And for her, the adjustment has been, you know, she was in her freshman year of college in upstate New York. And for her, the transition has been coming back to Southern California, away from her exciting new life. But she's handled that very gracefully and is doing all the online stuff. But that's hard. But for my, my littles, it's like they have their little preschool Zoom classes, which are hilarious mm -hmm. and the the teachers are so lovely but for them it's mostly about keeping them stimulated in a day-to-day -day way that is fun for them and I'm not as concerned about them actively learning per se as I am about them exploring the world and continuing to be interested and of course the three and four it's right. effortless for them you know <laughs> what I mean yeah. I just kind of have to honestly just kind of stay out of their way a lot of the time because whatever world they're going to create is going to be 10 times better than whatever curriculum or thing I could try to force down their throats. So I just let them be creative children. And um, but that does mean that sometimes my work has to occur at 11 p.m. at night. <laughs> but on the and bright side, you get to steal from them. I do. <laughs> Oh, and don't think I don't. I absolutely, I mean, they're like case studies, constant case studies. I'm like, oh, that's good. Oh, I got to remember that. Oh, yeah. You're videotaping yeah. of, this is going to be great for my Nickelodeon audition. Seriously. It's all good material, and it's constantly changing, and it's hilarious at this age. So, yeah, I really owe them quite a bit. Well, and for your 19-year-old stepdaughter, tell her on the bright side, uh, like on in college, when she was going to class in her pajamas, she still gets to do the same thing. You know what? That's a good point. Yeah. That's true. She just doesn't have to do it through, like, brutal upstate New York winters. Right. Because, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. the trade-off between upstate New York and Southern California, you know, it's, it's like, no yeah. offense to our upstate New York friends that are listening, yeah. but when it comes it to is. weather, she basically traded aluminum for gold. <laughs> the weather aspect, right. <laughs> right. From the weather aspect. I'm not dumping on upstate New York. I'm just talking oh, about the weather. No, It's gorgeous yeah. up there. I, I did an episode of a Hulu show right before everything closed down that was shot up there. And, oh, I just love it up there. Beautiful. I don't fault you, you know, and I'd love to be there between, you know, April and August. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no. Now you you know your husband had a 19 year old daughter or has a 19 year old daughter. Um, please tell me he had like a super boring job and that you're the fun one. No, he's also an actor. <laughs> no, no one marries like the super boring accountant. I want like you know I want someone that's going to sit there and like you know they're the super crazy actor writer producer and then their spouse is like just crunching the numbers and going what are we investing next week. 
No, uh, uh, no, for better or for worse, we are both insane, and um, I mean, that's probably what drew us together. But um, no, he's he's an actor. You probably, if you follow Walking Dead, he was on mm-hmm. Walking Dead, and um, he. It's great to share the same language of what we do. Um, it really has come in handy. But yeah, it probably makes for two really insane parents. I can't imagine what it would be like to grow up with two actors as parents. I hope my kids are okay. <laughs> Well, they're having fun at three and five, so they don't know any better yet. It's true, but maybe this will give them a lot to talk about in therapy. I don't yeah. know. Maybe. Or some good college essays, right. I hope. You know, it, it's when they start seeing reruns of Stargirl, and they, and they see their mom being the villainous, beating up everybody on screen, <laughs> that all the kids are going to start bullying them. No, they definitely had, had a bit of a, a, a cognitive dissonance when I was like, no, mom is the bad guy. <laughs> And they, they would just look at me like, wait, what? And then I would say, you know, everything I'm trying to teach you not to do, like, don't hit each other. Mama's going to do that. But I don't, <laughs> there's a difference. And so, like, the closest analogy we could come up with was, like, Halloween. You know, right. it's like I'm dressing up in a costume. I'm pretending to do something. But you don't do this. I don't want to see you kicking anyone. Right. Oh. Mama is <laughs> pretending to be a hypocrite for a paycheck. <laughs> That's right. So you eat your snacks. That's right. exactly right. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's a little tricky for them at this age, I think. But I think they're starting to get it. They see me they see me as Jing though, and I think they're that's also very confusing. I'll be like, That's mama and they'll like how? <laughs> yeah. Oh my. What was your parents' reaction when you when you got Jang on uh, on Duncanville? Because, you know, they went through the whole adoption thing with you and, and raised you up and now here you are basically reliving your childhood in cartoon format, only probably funnier. It's true. You know, I think my dad, well, my mom passed years ago. but My I condolences. She, oh, thank you. But I think she and my dad, my dad is, he takes everything in stride. He's so unfazed by any of the work I do now because I've done so many different kinds of things. <laughs> but I think he thought it was uniquely charming that I would I would be able to play this role. Um but, you know, it's like within, within the adoption community, every story is so different. So it's like I I get to play this adoptee, but there's there's so many things that we share, but there's also so many things that are unique to her. So I think he's just excited when I'm working. Right. <laughs> he's just happy that I have a job. Well, it's perfect that we're having this conversation now because Friday – no, I'm sorry. No, Friday is May 1st, and May, yeah. May begins uh, Foster and Adoption Month. Yes, that's right. So, yeah. You know, do you play a role in any of that mentoring or anything going on? You know, I don't. Um, I would be totally open to that, and I would, I would love it. Um, I am a very open speaker about adoption, and my my son, it, we adopted him as an infant, and we have a very open adoption and relationship with his birth mother, mm-hmm. and it's something that I feel really passionately about, and could talk about ad nauseum. But, um, yeah, I think there's always room for more awareness, and our language is evolving slowly around issues of adoption, but there could always be more. Um, you know, people for a, while, for a long time in the past would, like, don't tell the kid they're adopted or hide certain yes. things. And I never understood that um, no. because even in ancient times, you know, if you read either holy texts or just cultural, uh, you know, storytelling from, from those era – it seemed that the adopted child was often more favored than the biological child because they were the one chosen as the oh, ideal child. Oh, that's fascinating yeah. point. 
Yeah, you know what? There has been such a negative stigma around adoption, and it's all based in fear, right? Mm-hmm. It's all, it's all. Oftentimes, it's a fear of rejection. It's a fear of rejection of the of the adoptive parents. It's a fear of social rejection. But I think that's just because there hasn't been enough talk about it, and there really does need to be more. Um, I was, I can't remember a time where I didn't know I was adopted. It was celebrated in our house. We had like a homecoming day that was celebrated like a birthday. Uh-huh. And it was always something that was very out in the open. And I was always proud of it. And I loved hearing my story. And um, I wish that every adopted kid could experience that because I think if it's hidden, then it's instantly a shameful thing, right? Mm-hmm. Instantly. And right. um Oh, that's so, it's so unfortunate. So I hope that is starting to change. Well, I'm fascinated by the subject. I mean, you know, bringing up Ty, who's your, your co-star in Dunkelville, you know, yes. there were the characters that had an adopted daughter on that show. So, on right. uh, you know, on uh, Modern Family. So Right. And in his life, he has two adopted daughters. And I think, um, I think it exists in ways that we're often not aware of because, I mean, for me anyway, it's such a, it's such a normal thing to do. It's such a, a normal choice to make that I just, my husband and I really didn't think twice about it. Um, but I think it is something that deserves a lot of consideration. And I think, um, like I said before, like the whole all you need is love trope is so not true. And uh, I, I I wish people understood that it's a, it's a process, a lifelong process, of course, like any form of parenting, right? right? <laughs> but it is a good starting point. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's just and the building block from there can be difficult. It's true. And everyone's experience is so unique and where they grow up really dictates experience. And I grew up in a predominantly white area and that was challenging. It was not an easy thing. And like I said, my parents were relatively woke, but like mm-hmm. still you can only do so much when you're the one Asian kid in your class. Like mm-hmm. that's not really something that any kid comes equipped to deal with when they're six. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was an interesting challenge, um, right. and it's been a process of identity for me, for sure. But I so, I so appreciate you talking about this because I – Well, I, no, it's very it, important. Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate that, though. Um, so it's something I, I could talk about forever. We could do a whole other show. Oh, absolutely. Just devoted to me well, talking about this with you. Well, just to go the inverse, because you lived in San Francisco for a little while, which is – you know, heavily uh, Asian population, Filipino, mm-hmm. Chinese. You know, I'm originally from San Francisco myself. Uh, okay. What was it like going the other way? And now you've been raised in an all-white society, although you didn't look like everybody, to where you, you know, physically fit in with this other crowd, but culturally right. you're so far removed. Right. It's a great question because there is this sense of removed because um, you acclimate to whatever you're around, mm-hmm. Right. And uh, it was odd, I'll tell you. When I was in grad school in San Diego, I remember teaching a class of undergraduates and looking out at my class, and about half of the students were Asian. Mm-hmm. And I had, until I lived in the Bay Area and SoCal, I had never experienced large Asian populations. And I almost started to cry mm-hmm. because it was such um, such a contrast to what I had grown up with. But in these communities, it was just taken for granted. There were Asians everywhere. And, uh, but it threw me at first because mm-hmm. also I would be in, I would find myself in situations where people of various Asian ethnicities would attempt to talk to me <laughs> <laughs> and I would be like, I am so sorry. I don't, I speak English. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so sorry. 
And so there's there's that level of discomfort, too. And I think a lot of adoptees have felt this sense of not quite being able to figure out where they slot in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because like you said, there's this physical um, there's this physical similarity, but that's where it ends. Right. Like a lot of us don't have any <clears throat> cultural references. And so it's a matter of forging your own way because you're kind of having to straddle both both areas of your life. Right. And um yeah, of course now I love it and I'm so spoiled in LA, you know. <laughs> I mean, we have the largest Korean population outside of Korea and some of the best food in the world is here. But um it took a little bit for me to get used to that and not treat it as like a, a special thing. Now I take it for granted, which I think is a good thing. <laughs> well, I get you. You know, I grew up with, with a lot of white people. So unlike most Middle Eastern people, I show up on time for things. <laughs> and so... <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, like you, but you just referenced something that's really interesting. There's so many cultural, there's so many cultural ins <laughs> that I've had to learn about. Um, and, I'm still learning and will continue to learn. And the, the few trips that I've made to Korea have been really interesting. Um, and I want to keep going and I'd love to spend more extended time there. But yeah, like jokes like that, like I, I have no reference for that. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like if someone makes a Korean cultural joke, I'm like, ahaha, like I don't, I don't necessarily know where that's based right. in. So, um, you're like, is that North learning. Korean? Is that South Korean? I'm not sure if this is a village joke. You know, I get you. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I, I like to think I, I'm totally humble about it. I have no ego and I can be like, I'm sorry, I don't get that. Right. Explain it to me, please. And then there's a part of you that's like, look, I don't get it. All I saw was Parasite two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that movie was so good. It was. Oh, God. Yeah. So, and Cre- so and I wish you had a point of reference for this, but Koreans make really scary movies. Oh, no, they do. Terrifying. I mean, I've, be a, I've been a fan of Korean cinema for years and years. Oh, some of the most terrifying. And I am not, I, I am not good with horror films. I, I've never been good with them. Um, I wish I, I could be cool and be like, yeah, I can totally watch that and walk down the hall by myself. But I'm not that way. Right. And, um, oh, yeah. Oh, this is some terrifying films. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, having the situation that that we've been discussing, you know, not understanding certain cultural references, but Hollywood recently is on the slant of we want to be ethically appropriate when we cast certain characters. And, Mm -hmm. you know, culturally, you're very American because you never got to fully experience Korean culture. Mm -hmm. Does that, you know, does that become kind of a hindrance because you check the yellow box, but culturally Mm -hmm. you don't fit into that world exactly? Yeah, that's another really good question. I mean, um, there have been various times where my agents or managers have had to say, hey, do you speak any of these languages? And I'm like, well, that I can kind of fudge um, because, like, I can I can kind of speak some Japanese. Like, I can read Japanese. I can speak a little bit in Korean. Like, if you give me some help, I can do it. But um, fluently, no. And uh, I think in the long run, what it has meant for me is that I've been very specific with my reps about what kinds of roles I, I want to play. And I had to do that from the outset. And maybe because of that, I, I never felt pigeonholed really. I never felt like I was playing quote unquote Asian roles. Like back when I started, that was a much narrower vein of work than right. it is now. And, um, 
I really didn't want to get caught in any of that because I also couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I like, <laughs> like I very specific, very specifically never learned a martial art mm-hmm. because I just, for me, that wasn't the right path to take. Right. I have nothing but respect for the artists who do that. And of course, now I'm like, I can see the merit of that. <laughs> but um, yeah, my path was, was different. And because I'm so westernized, but have this Asian face, I've had to really kind of find my own niche in Hollywood. And that's been a process for sure. It makes sense. No, because I, I speak a couple of languages, but I don't read read or write any of the other ones. Mm. And so people are like, they'll hear me talk and they're like, oh, that's great. Can you translate this for me? And I was just like, uh, at, at a first grade level, if you want. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many of us who are like that. And mm. I have so many Asian friends who can understand whichever language they grew up hearing, but they can't really speak it. Right. Um, because their parents, of course, wanted them to assimilate into an American culture and speak English. And so, but of course, born out of that desire is then sort of a rift sometimes between you and your culture, right? right. So, ah, I don't know. There's all these different uh, needs to satisfy and it can be, it can be really hard to do so. Right. Well, I have a friend who, who's a Vietnamese teacher. He speaks French and Vietnamese. Surprise, surprise, because it was a French colony over there. That makes sense. Yep. And, and when he teaches Vietnamese, you know, there's an internal struggle for him when he's just like, that Mexican kid is speaking Vietnamese better than the Vietnamese kids. Yes, and, sure. And it, you know, and it's not like a, a race issue, but it's like you have a greater tie than than this guy over here that just decided to take the language. Yeah, yeah. I, I think your friend identified something that I've felt all mm-hmm. my life, which is, why should I necessarily be more facile with Korean than any other language? Right. I heard it for the first seven months of my life mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I wish I was better at Korean, but I find it very challenging. Right. Um, so I don't know. It, it really does pose that question of, you know, na- nature versus nurture and, and what is really in you. You know, I, I don't, I don't know. I have a, a Dave Boyle who directed me in three films you know, he's a white guy from Utah, and he speaks fluent Japanese. I, I mean, I love that. Right. <laughs> and, and no, that's the beautiful part about being in the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, et cetera, because we can do all that. Right, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I have the slight inverse because I'm so fair-skinned that people in the Middle East forget that those of us from the Levant are very fair-skinned, mm-hmm. you know, on the Mediterranean coast. Mm-hmm. And so I'll hear them talk about me, and I'll just look at them going, oh, you forgot wow. what a bunch of us look like, don't you? Oh, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> right. Well, it makes for fun times, though. That's, I'm sure it does. I'm sure you, get to, you have a lot of fun surprising them. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's always the best, especially when they try to rip you off. Oh, you right, know? of course. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, that is fine. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you sit there, and, like, it happened to my aunt, actually. She went to uh, – she went to Israel on a, on, a, on a trip for Easter several years back, and they didn't realize that she was Lebanese. And again, you know, milk white skin, green eyes, you know, strawberry right. blonde, whatever. And uh, one of the ladies who was with her didn't speak the language. And the Palestinian guy said, eh, you know, he's like, how much should we give it to her for talking about the lady that she was with? Mm. And he said, you know what? It only cost, it only cost us three. Eh, tell her it's twelve. And they were negotiating the price and they wouldn't come down and, you know, they were going to come down to eight. And my aunt told the lady, she's like, go stand outside real quick. And she's like, look, I know it only costs, I only only cost you three, (laughs) 
<laughs> I know you're harassing the lady. Uh, give it to her for six and we'll call it a day. Wow. And they were so mad that my aunt didn't tell them ahead of time that she was Lebanese. That's fantastic, bro. <laughs> so, yeah. That's wonderful. So my aunt it's helped like the lady being, out, but. Yeah, it's like being an undercover spy. I love right. it. You know, so it's that sort of thing. So I, I get a lot of that. And that's why I'm asking about, you know, your situation having the inverse. Um, right. You know, with voice acting, though, you can be anybody. You can be, you know, a little Asian girl. You can be an older white woman. You could be a teenage boy, et cetera, et cetera. How much more fun is that than when we just see you on camera and going, okay, I expect Joy to either be Korean, Japanese, possibly Chinese in this scene, uh, but American-born? Yeah, I mean, it's very liberating, of course. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, there have been times where I've turned down a voiceover audition because I've felt strongly that it should go to a Native American actor. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I mean, it's not w within my control to do that. But I'm like, I don't feel comfortable auditioning for this. Mm -hmm. Like, if the role is specifically for someone of this, her you know, ethnic heritage, then I want it to hopefully go to someone who is that. Mm -hmm. um, because because the opportunities are so relatively few. Right. Um, and come on, we can all do the footwork to find the person. That's fine. You know, it maybe takes a little effort, but they're out there. It mm -hmm. takes a little bit more time, maybe. Um, and then, yeah, it, it is it is fun to be on screen, of course. And I, I've come to really see the roles that I've played as just the name of the character. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've played roles that have been specifically written for an Asian American. Right. Um or in one case, I played a North Korean defector. But I mean, those are such a small handful of the roles that I've done. And um, I love that a lot of the names of my characters, are they're not Asian, they're just right. names. Um, <laughs> that's really satisfying to me. And, and that's what makes it more interesting, is that when an Asian person takes on the character, they still have an Anglo-Saxon name in some roles. Yeah, and I I love that that is often kept because you know growing up with my Polish last name I just never thought twice about it so it did not denote anything for me as a person it was just who I was and um, like I said it has made me it has made me very non judgmental about names and people because I can't necessarily tell anything from that so better just to get to know the person and hear their story first. And, the, and that's what we're doing today, and I'm glad that you're willing to share your story with us. Well, thanks for being so open to hearing it. I appreciate it. Well, it's fascinating, and I think I, what bothers me a lot in modern society is that the word ignorant is used so often as a pejorative mm. instead of just being, I don't know, so I'm yeah. ignorant on X situation. You're educating me on this, so I know for the future to say, oh, okay, that wasn't appropriate, this is appropriate, some people are willing to answer this question, some people aren't willing to answer that one. Right. Right. I agree with you. It doesn't have to be a pejorative. It can yeah. just be a state that you can then change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, it's, like, it's only when you dig in your heels, well, I don't care. That's when the problem happens. Yes. When it's willful, that's a very concrete and key difference. <laughs> but you don't know what you don't know, right? right. Um, but once you do know that you could know more, then you can. <laughs> exactly. Uh, with you being a mother of two small children, and mm -hmm. voicing characters often uh, towards children, except for Duncanville, of course. But, you know, I think kids could watch it with, with some jokes going over their head. Probably, um, yeah. How much of your children's behavior 
or some of their speaking patterns because they haven't fully developed, you know, uh, language skills at an adult level, obviously, that you mm-hmm. incorporate into the kids' roles and how many new voices do you come up with that you try out on the kids? <laughs> um, the first part of your question, probably more than I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I hear their little voices all day. So <laughs> I'm sure that's seeping into my subconscious and comes out in parts of Jing that I'm not even aware of. Um, the difference, of course, is that a lot of times I struggle to understand my three-year-old, um, whereas Jing, you got to get every word that she says. Right. So I have to make that adjustment, of course, mm-hmm. and also keep her as childlike as possible. But I'm sure it permeates my performance in ways I'm not aware of. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of the other voices I do, I think that could be best exemplified in my bedtime story reading, <laughs> 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 which for better or for worse. My children are subjected to a wide swath of my voices, um, and uh, I I think they like it because I. But you know, the frog and toad stories are ones that I grew up on and ones that they love as well. And I have very distinct voices for all of those mm-hmm. stories. So I guess I'm sort of branding in their heads forever and ever that frog and toad sound a specific way, and. <laughs> Whether or not that's what the author ever intended, that is how my children will interpret those stories, possibly, possibly for their children. Mm-hmm. So that is the legacy of voice actors. <laughs> and you've ruined it for your children because when a cartoon finally comes out of Frog and Toad, they're going <laughs> to sit there and go, they don't sound like that. <laughs> that doesn't sound like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Oh, jeez. See, I am of a certain age where I remember – caller ID becoming a thing. Oh, yeah, me too. And yeah. I think it is. it was one of the best, worst things possible for voice actors. Like, oh. I picture, like, because I remember the jerky boys and people are like, who the hell are they? You know, like, 20-year-olds yeah. are going to be like, who the hell are they? Don't worry, kids, they were funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, making their prank calls and everything else. And there's, you know, a small part of my twisted brain that just pictures people like Phil Lamar, um, you know, Maurice LaMarche, Charlie Adler, you know, making those prank calls in the 60s, 70s, and 80s yeah, and getting away with it because people never knew who the hell they were. And I think that takes away from what modern voice actors are able to do in playing pranks on other people. You're right. I never thought about yeah. <laughs> that. My my prank call career is nil. I can't right. do that. You're right. You, know, you could have became a voice actress sooner if it wasn't for caller ID. It takes a lot caller ID. It's all AT&T's fault. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and the Maybe guys at Sprint are like, whew, at least they're not blaming us. So. <laughs> I'll just try to change my caller ID to potential spam, and then everyone will. <laughs> no one will answer. No one will answer. But then you'll get to leave a ton of voicemails. Right. So. <laughs> Asking for everyone's social security number. <laughs> God. <laughs> God. Oh, that would Lord. that would be terrifying. Awful. Yeah. Did did you develop voices as a kid? I mean, as as an actor, you know, you create characters and then you you're in plays and everything else. But as a kid with your own imagination, were you creating voices for your dolls or for your toys or any of that stuff? Like is that just yeah. part of your upbringing? I mean, I think so. I mean, most kids do that to some extent. I, I remember as a kid, I did a lot of puppet shows. That was my, my venue of choice was, was the puppet theater. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I did a lot of voices, although I, I don't really have any clear memories of that. Um, but it is a very childlike thing to do. 
And I definitely hear my kids doing that. Although maybe they do that more because I, I don't know, but it's so fun. It's so fun to hear small children create voices for their toys. It's one of my favorite things to eavesdrop. And then you steal that. And then the toys that you voice that end up on the shelves is, is really your kids. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I had children. <laughs> <laughs> had nothing to do with a motherly instinct. Oh, no, no, no. I just wanted to capitalize off of their natural talent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a question going back to the adoption thing, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, having been an adopted child mm-hmm. and then having one of your own that is your own biological child, mm-hmm. is there some sort of extra connection because you didn't spend time with your own biological mother, you know, growing up? Or is it like, no, this is my kid, my adopted child's my kid, and now my stepkid is also my kid? Yeah. Like, how does that work? That is a great question. And I am lucky to be a mom in three different ways. And what I will say is that the, the base instinct for motherhood is the same. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. The circumstances surrounding where your child's origin is, it doesn't matter. Um, but I was interested to see that as well. You know, like, would I feel differently or interact differently with my biological child? versus my adopted child versus my stepchild. And um, no, not really. I, I mean, when you're a parent, all you're focused on, basically, is keeping your children alive. <laughs> and, so, and I used to be like, alive, that's such a low bar. No, actually, no, it's not. Uh, it takes a great deal of skill and temerity to keep your children alive. And I salute all parents who have managed to keep their children alive into adulthood, I think that is incredible. Um, and I, I say that as a joke, but um, <laughs> it, it's it's really true because, uh, and, and how if your child came out of your body or out of someone else's body, once they're in your life and you're responsible for them, everything else sort of fades away. Mm-hmm. Now, the one thing I will say is that having never had any biological relatives other than my daughter, mm-hmm. I will occasionally look into her face and be sort of struck by that. Um, Other people tell me she looks like me. I will sometimes see that. I see it more in how she behaves. Mm -hmm. But I've never had a mirror in that way. I've never had either a physical mirror or a behavioral mirror. So that has been fascinating to me. (laughs) But I also see that with my adopted son, I just, you know, and I'm able to talk to his birth mother, which is wonderful, and be like, did you do this when you were this age? Or, and she'll be able to say, oh, my gosh, yes. Actually, my uncle used to walk around with, like, one sock on and one sock off. I'm like, maybe that's where he gets it from, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so He's like, look, I'm kind of cold. I'm kind of warm. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> and actually, it makes perfect sense. It's a really good technique. But... Um, but uh it's really been an amazing, amazing thing to be able to be a part of three different children's lives in three different ways to some extent. And um, I'm really grateful because any way you're a parent, any way you're a parent, insight is forced upon you whether you want it or not. Mm-hmm. And um, you come to terms with a lot of stuff about yourself that you weren't ever aware even existed. And um, the fact that I've gotten to do that via three different lenses is a huge gift. Well, that's and, um, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I 
This is a question I, I tend to ask often of creative people, mm. um, especially right now with uh, the situation that we're going through worldwide. Yeah. And uh, I, I look at some of it in a bright spot in that, you know, people can't sit there anymore and say, oh, that war is going on in that country. Too bad for them. Oh, yeah. that's happening to poor people over there. Too bad for them. Like it hit us all and it's kind of going to for hopefully kind of force us to be a little more united mm -hmm. in, in this. Mm -hmm. Being a creative person, how do you retain your creativity or come up with something fresh while facing this going on in the world? Yeah, I mean, I think it can be a real a real challenge. And at the beginning of this, I remember there were there were so many <laughs> forces and ideas urging everyone to use the time for the betterment of humanity and to, you know, lean into that opus you've never done. I was like. I have to say, I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> this is a pandemic. Right. Like, I'm not writing a brilliant thing right now. How could I? I'm stressed out about getting food. Right. Like, this is not the time for me to do that. Hmm. Now, if someone else has done that, my hat is off to you. Right. Um, if you're me, single and you live alone, you have a better chance. I suppose. <laughs> but, I mean, God, I know so many folks are just sort of, um, you know, made inert from anxiety. And I get that. So if all they can do is pick up their phone and maybe see that someone else in another country is also experiencing that, like you said, the world is now everyone's backyard. Mm. Like maybe that's a good thing that we can finally connect in that way. I'm sad that it took a pandemic to do it. But um, for me, the create uh, the creative outlets have really started to become more physical. Like mm. a lot of what we do as actors is fairly ephemeral. I mean, it leads to a TV show. If you do theater, though, it's over and done and gone. Mm. And so for me, I've kind of returned to the things I like making with my hands. And that has been very satisfying to see like a physical manifestation manifestation of the work that I've done. It's right there in front of me. I can see it. Mm -hmm. And then I can share it with other people. And my husband is an incredible baker and he's been baking bread like crazy. And we've been sharing with people like I made a pie for the first time in 10 years. That was really satisfying. Congratulations. But thank you. It did not suck. But, um, but, you know, I think it's, it's really just simple things, mundane things that previously we took for granted. Like I never would have been like, oh yeah, a pie, that's a big freaking deal that I got the butter and the flour to make this pie. Right. But it was, you know? So I think, um, yeah, for me, it's just simple things, sort of mundane day-to-day -day things that previously I wouldn't have thought twice about and now feel like holy grails. Which was actually going to lead into my next question, sort of, is that, you know, most people use the arts as an escape. And mm -hmm. you just mentioned that your husband's escape from the arts is pastry work. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're allowed time for yourself with a three and a five-year-old, mm -hmm. what is your escape from your career that you find to be your sort of sanctuary? Um, it's, it's the same thing that I'm doing now. It's, it's crafting. It's making things with my hands. Um, I have a group of dear, dear friends that I have been getting together with on and off now for over a decade. And, you know, in LA, especially, it's kind of a miracle if you have like any standing date with anyone that you manage to keep. Mm -hmm. um, but, <laughs> Sorry for laughing, but yeah, that's Southern California. It's true. It's true. 
true. And now we, we do weekly Zooms and we're, it's less about crafting now, of course, and more about just connecting. But that has been a refuge for me and I know for them as well. And everyone's life has ebbed and flowed and evolved and taken different turns, but we've all still managed to find ways to connect with, with each other. And that, that little community, it's like five of us, that little community for me has been a lifesaver. And um, because I'm often actually someone who loves to be alone, I'm perfectly content to be by myself. So um, now with kids, you know, <laughs> good luck with that. Yeah, <laughs> solitude is is a prized thing. But um, yeah, the same same for me, crafting. Right. See, I say God has a sense of humor because I I too am very comfortable in being alone. So mm-hmm. like, if you left me uh, by myself on the couch with a book or my phone or a tablet or whatever on Friday and you came back Monday morning, I'd still be sitting there. Yeah. I'm kind of like that too. (laughs) And I say that God has a sense of humor because I'm so used to being by myself and being quiet in my own personal life that he's going to sit there and go triplets. (laughs) Yeah, my friend, that may be the case. (laughs) That may be the case, (laughs) but you'd be great. You would love it, and you'd have a phenomenal time. I, I'd have to. There'd be no other choice. Exactly. You know, you don't you don't want to be listed as one of those deadbeat dads that runs away from everything and end up on Maury in six months. No, 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 and that's a much bigger <laughs> issue. I, right. I have a feeling. I have a feeling you would be perfectly fine <laughs> with uh, triplets. You would probably thrive. <laughs> well, from <laughs> let's hope you're right. If that situation <laughs> ever comes about, <laughs> yeah. Uh, with all of this, you know, you're allowed to be creative and, you know, you're crafting yourself. But now things have subsided. The pandemic has, uh, you know, we've what, what's the phrase that they're using? Flattening the curve. Yes. And you're allowed to freely create again. What yeah. is the dream project with an MFA that you want to create that you feel could transcend not only the artsy crowd, but the general population. Oh my good lord! That's a that's a behemoth of a question. Um, yes. I almost feel like I need a week to think about it and then get back to you. Um, something that involves my MFA. Well, I have to say, uh, live performance is so unique and beautiful, and I love that that they did they just did this incredible tribute to Sondheim um, for his 90th. But things like that, I love that they persist in spite of all the other ways that we're not able to connect with each other, that technology has actually managed to come out for the win in this case mm-hmm. and make a platform where people can, can still share those live theater skills. So, I mean, if there's a way to do something like that, but in real life, <laughs> I guess people do stuff like that already. They do tributes on stage, but there's gotta be something new that comes out of this. And I'm not sure yet what it's, going to be um i don't i'm not i wouldn't necessarily characterize it as a renaissance of sorts although i feel like historically this this is when renaissance times are born Mm -hmm. but um oh man that's an excellent question i literally might have to think about it and get back to you okay because i'm thinking like you know something like birdman where it was very artsy but it hit with the general crowd Yeah. yeah oh that movie was so phenomenal yeah and such a love letter to theater, right? <laughs> oh, that that made me miss doing theater, and I do it whenever I can, but it's it's hard. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, for me, I think live performance is going to take on an even more special feeling than it has, especially because it looks like we won't be able to gather in the kinds of numbers that we used to be able to for quite some time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, something as simple as that we all used to kind of bitch and moan about, right? Oh, I got to go out and see this play. Oh, that's going to become like a, you know, the most wonderful decadent dessert that you could possibly indulge in. Right. I get to go sit in a theater and watch something happen that will only happen this way one time in the history of the universe. Mm-hmm. Like, that's mind blowing. Yeah. No, I agree with you because, you know, Hollywood Bowl was uh, such a big part of so many people's lives out here. Yeah. And I'd sit there and go, oh, I got to fight traffic to get to Hollywood. Right. I got to right. pay 35 bucks for parking. Right. You know, or take that shuttle from Torrance. Yeah, and then it's like, and then I got to hike up that hill. Yep. Oh, I forgot my jacket in the car. This is going to suck and it's going to get windy. Like, yeah, those little trivial things. Yeah. Now it's going to be like, I get to do right. each one of those things. I get to hike up the hill. I mm-hmm. get to get a little chilly as I'm listening to this amazing music or this amazing performance. I mean, I hope so. I hope yeah. so. <laughs> do you still dance, by the way? Like, at least for hobby? No, I don't really. I mean, I haven't been a practicing dancer for years and years. Although that stuff, if you once you've done it as long as I have it, it is in your body, whether you want it to or not, um, for the rest of your life. But um, I mean, mm, I dance for my children. Right. <laughs> and they have dance parties. But no, I have not been a formal dancer for some time. Okay. And so everybody knows that five foot three, you've broken every single toe in your foot. So now you have to wear a size 14 shoe. I totally get it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was pretty lucky. I mean, as much as I was on point, I, I did not develop the, the incredibly wonderfully gnarly feet that professional dancers develop. They're amazing. Their feet are amazing. I love dancer feet. I just find them to be incredible. You know, I I don't really like feet, so I have nothing after that. That's fine. No problem. It, it could have gone a really dark way if, like, I had something for feet and then just be like, no. you know, one of those people. But, no, luckily I don't like feet, so we're okay. We're in the clear on that. Okay, good. <laughs> to each their own, there's right. something for everyone. Right. I'll make fun of a little something here, but I don't, I don't cross a certain line because it's inappropriate and then it's, people just get weird. Like, you know, I'll, I'll let you in on a not so secret aspect of my life. Um, movie musicals, terrifying. (laughs) Like I'm a big wuss when it comes to horror movies, Yeah. but musicals scare the hell out of me. So, Hmm. so Rocky Horror Picture Show is the scariest movie I've ever seen in my life because it's a horror movie set to music. Right. Yeah. That seems like that would really put you in the analyst couch do you think uh is it because you're afraid that might happen in real life that people would break into song unexpectedly it's happened oh god okay i have to tell you this story then so i i I recently got into voice acting i've I've done some stuff but nothing in english well Mm -hmm. no uh psa in english but Mm -hmm. um bob bergen had a voice actor cruise and i went on Bob. yes he's wonderful he's fantastic oh he bob is amazing Yes, but yes. every night, you know, we had we had such a large group that every night we'd rotate tables and have dinner with various other uh, people in the industry that were up and comers or people that are, you know, more regional work or whatever it is, you know. And mm-hmm. one night I end up at a table and it just so happened that of the seven of us at this table, 
Six people adored musical theater. Okay. And one person, I, I blame the youngest person there just because they're the youngest person, uh, <laughs> just, just throws out a line that I have no idea what it's in point of reference for. And then the other five people and the person who threw out the line start singing a song. Oh, yes, yes, this happens, yes. I know. <laughs> and I just look down at my folded hands in my lap going, what on earth is going on? Sure, sure. And someone looks at me and goes, this isn't your scene, is it? I said, no, 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 this is my hell because this is terrifying. <laughs> I actually, because I love musicals, I totally get that. I totally get why people just breaking into song in a public place would be mortifying. I, I get it. Um that that is the uh, beauty and the curse, though, of loving musical theater. Is that once you find someone else who knows what you know, it's uh, an instant bond. It's like so many things, right? right. Like like sports or whatever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. It just happens to have notes attached to it. Um, I I feel for you. I right. I understand. I understand. But, but like for me, like I can watch Fiddler on the Roof on stage, mm -hmm. but but you put the movie on TV and you lost me. Because yeah, it's, it's in a realistic setting. And then to have experienced someone just break out in the song next to me was terrifying. So I was like, oh, my God, it's my worst nightmare coming to fruition. Yeah. You know, like yeah. on stage, I could watch it. Right. There's something uh, inherently intimate about singing. And I mm -hmm. think if you're not expecting it and it suddenly happens right next to you, it's like suddenly you're... <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly you're watching someone go to the bathroom. That's not what I mean. Because singing is very different from going to the bathroom. But it's like it's like if you're not expecting it, it's like maybe it's like walking in on someone going to the you're like, oh God. Oh it's God. that it's that level of off putting if you're not in that world, shall we say. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to. I just want to make sure that, like, that's the route we go because we're not yes. comparing singers to. Uh, no, no. Yeah. Make that abundantly clear. I am. I love musical theater, right. and I wish if I had one genie wish, it would mm -hmm. be that I could sing like that. Uh -huh. um, I wish I could do that. So yeah, that was not the greatest analogy, but it's a Monday and it's a pandemic, so right. that's my excuse. And we mm. corrected it, so we're okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad we could laugh with all the all the things going on in the world because um, you know, as I mentioned before, my family's from the Middle East, so it was funny because I have friends that are losing their minds with the pandemic. Yeah, of course. And and I was like, well, my dad survived the revolution and my mom survived the civil war. And so if Ooh. I just get to stay home and watch movies, read books, and talk to fun people on the phone, mm. and then, you know, certain delivery sites will send me my groceries, I think I'm okay. Yeah. Well, that's great to hear. <laughs> and, and you're right. I mean, it really, everything gets very reductive, doesn't it? You're like, yeah. can I get food? Yes. Can I make some contact uh, occasionally with other people? Yes. Okay. I, I think I'm okay. Right. Can I go stand in the backyard or, you know, uh, in front in front of the house and get some sun. Okay, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, a little vitamin D. All yeah. right. I'm all right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it simplifies things. Now, are you and your husband going to work on a project since you're both creative people and, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to torture your children into becoming accountants or bookkeepers or, mm -hmm. you know, work for the IRS at some point? 
mm-hmm. because I, I'm sick of this. I just I just want a cubicle. Job. Yeah, no, very possibly. Very yeah. possibly. Yeah. <laughs> Are you two working on any projects between the two of you that you guys want to create and put together as a film or a book or children's book series or something of that sort? You know, one of my favorite things to do with Corey is to sit down and just hash things out because he's incredibly creative and has a ton of good ideas. And so if I've got something that's kind of like percolating in the back of my head and I try to articulate it, he'll be like, oh, yeah, wait. And he because he knows me so well, he'll be like, oh, we, what about this? So he's a really good person. He's like writer's room dream is what he is. And um, um, I wish we had something specific that we were working on right now. We don't right now. And, you know, neither one of us, too, is one of those people. Like, I have friends who are just prolific. Like, they can't help but create content. And I'm in awe of them. Both Corey and I are much more like, give us the lines and we'll say them. (laughs) Um, But it does... I mean, depending on how long this goes, yeah, I can I can see us creating something just to keep ourselves from going insane. Yeah. I dig it. You know, then who gets to be the voice of reason if both of you can, like, virtually read each other's thoughts without full communicative sentences? Well, yeah, that's a problem sometimes. <laughs> because sometimes you don't read each other's thoughts without full communicative sentences, and there, therein lies the rub. <laughs> Um, I think anyone who's been in a long-term relationship gets that. Um, I think, (laughs) I think one of the hardest things to do in a long-term relationship is not to fall into habits of complacency. I mean, you get so comfortable with another person that you think, and you start to assume that you know exactly what they're thinking all the time. But there's a real beauty in, in keeping the mystery of someone else's mind and, um, and your own as well, right? Like, I I trust and value that Corey has his own private life, too. Like, there's, of course, many aspects of his brain that I don't understand, and I like it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to have everything figured out, because then what is the point? Right. Um, and I think I think he would say the same about me. There are parts of my brain that he doesn't understand. <laughs> and, um, and, and to I be fair, there's parts it. of each other's brains you don't want to understand. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> and um, I think it's really good and healthy when you leave those parts alone right. and respect them and not try to fully plumb the depths of everyone because <laughs> it's not your place. You know what I mean? Like. I, I really respect Corey's privacy, and I, I know he does the same for me. And that's even more important now that we're all forced to be around each other 24-7. Right. You know? <laughs> and, and the beautiful part is you know each other well enough to sit there and go, you know what, this really unique and quirky birthday gift is something I should get her. And then you look at her and go, what made you think I want to go diving with sharks? When did I ever <laughs> imply that, you know, just because I saw 47 meters down and go, oh, that was an interesting oh. movie. All of a sudden, I just want to go swimming with sharks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're right. You're right. I think maybe maybe it's leading to a more careful analysis of who <laughs> and what our partners really are and are into. <laughs> I mean, I, I think maybe some light will be shed onto previous assumptions about people that right. um, we find out are actually not true. <laughs> right. And we're picking on your husband because he's not involved in this conversation. So you can't be the bad guy at all. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. He's, a, he's an incredible human being. <laughs> hey, listen, if he wasn't, we wouldn't pick on somebody, you know, for no reason. Yeah, Middle, East, Middle Eastern culture is very, very much this. 
if there's something taboo and we make fun of you, we're okay with it. If we don't like it, we just don't talk to you anymore. But it's also, if we make fun of you, it means because we like you. Yes, yes. I actually really vibe with that. I'm drawn to people who do that. I've Mm -hmm. always loved being teased as a form Mm -hmm. of affection. Yes. And I love doing that as a form of affection with people that I'm comfortable with. So yeah, I always think that's a good sign. Right. Without being, without becoming mean, like that, that there's oh, a line God, that no. sometimes you can't cross and some people. Yeah. In, no, no, you know. no. As soon as it goes into that territory, it's like, eh, nope, sorry, you don't get it. <laughs> right. We're, we're not playing roast paddle here, guys. No, no. <laughs> if, if it's at someone else's expense, if it's not done in, with love and truly loving and to lift someone up, then mm-hmm. there's, there's no point. Right. Now, Joy, before I let you go, because I know you're busy, uh, you know, with the kids and everything going on, and then you got to practice for upcoming episodes of uh, of Duncanville, and then yes, get get your dance moves ready to pass off as Taekwondo moves for right. later episodes of Star Girl this season. Mm-hmm. When it's time to retire, you know, you you've had this long illustrious career. You're about 85 years old, right? What do you want the general audience to remember about you? And what do you want your kids to remember about you? Good Lord. Well, oh, you just thought we were going to be all lighthearted and jokes, didn't you? So- yeah, no, this, is, this is good. <laughs> this is getting deep. Getting deep. I think, um, you know, at that point in someone's life, to be remembered at all is a lovely thing. Um, I'm fortunate to be in a field where... <laughs> you know, for better or worse, there are these different forms of art that have immortalized uh, my performances. They will never go away. And um, I hope I'm remembered for being someone who could play a diversity of characters, a a variety of character types, um, as someone who was able to bring humor to a role, even if that necessarily wasn't the first thing that you thought of when you thought of the part Um, because to me humor is an indicator of humanity and so I would like to be remembered as someone who brought who brought that to their work Um, and as someone who who did their work with with respect for what they were doing and for for the colleagues that they were working with I consider my professional relationships with the people that I've that I've had the pleasure to to do acting work with is some of the most important in my life and so I would like to be remembered for that. Um, with my children, <laughs> I, I hope they remember me as, as someone who was fun and who took the time to stop what I was doing and listen and pay attention, even if it was in small ways. I, I hope I'm remembered as, as a parent who paid attention and who was non-judgmental and who they could come to with anything. I mean, that's every parent's dream, I think, <laughs> is that their kids will come to them when they need help. But I but I really I really hope that's my legacy with my children. I dig it. Well, I hope you have a career that's as long as June Foray's, where she took Witch Hazel through like six different decades or seven different decades and ah. just keep it going. Love it. Yes, <laughs> me too, my friend. Me too. Also, Joy, uh, where can we find you on social media if people want to connect with you? Uh, see what you're up to and all the goofy pie making stuff that you're into. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, okay. You can see a picture of my pie. I think I posted a picture of my pie on Instagram where I'm at Joy Osmansky and it's the same on Twitter at Joy Osmansky. And that is it for me. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on any other platform. It's just those two. And for people that want to figure out how to spell Osmansky, as far as I remember, it's O S M A N S K I. <laughs> 
That is correct. All right. I'm glad I got it right. Whew. Yeah, you did great. <laughs> Joy, you thank passed. you. <laughs> Perfect. Joy, thank you so much for your time today. It's a pleasure, RC. I love talking with you. The pleasure was mine. And by the way, congratulations on everything. Oh, I got to edit this in real quick. Um, oh, uh, don't forget to catch Duncanville on Sunday nights in the animation block on Fox and Stargirl premiering on the DC Universe app May 18th and the very next night, May 19th, on the CW Network.